Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, pro-national physique athlete, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today, I'm joined by Leo King, who is the president of WNBF Canada and a pro-natural bodybuilder, and most recently came second at World Championships, the WNBF Worlds in lightweight bodybuilding. Thanks for joining us, Leo. It's an honor, Bill. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's cool to finally have this, and I've known Leo for a while now, and it's great to have him on the show. I think he's a great athlete and uh, he's a chill dude, and it's cool to be able to highlight some Canadian athletes here. So, yeah, I was, you know, just for the audience who might not know you so much, Leo, maybe if you could just introduce a bit about yourself and maybe a bit about your competitive history and bodybuilding, and I understand you're a powerlifter as well. Yeah, so I've, uh, I mean, I've been lifting since I was about. 14 years old um competed back in 2011 was my first first season um at 21 uh, i actually turned WNBF pro in 2012 um so i've been competing for over a decade i've been at three world championships uh, recently placing second in the lightweight class in 2021 uh, WNBF world championships um i'm also a competitive powerlifter i uh just got back from uh, CPU, so Canadian Powerlifting Union National Nationals, which is uh, the IPF stream, um, and just just have a lot of fun with with lifting and being surrounded by like-minded individuals. And then just for the audience as well, I'm yeah, like I said, I'm the president of WMBF Canada. Um, my wife and I have been running it since 2017, but I've been actually the Calgary Regional Director for since 2013, so almost a decade promoting shows as well. So. Yeah, no, it's great having you know someone like yourself who has really has his finger on the pulse of natural bodybuilding. And yeah, so today we're going to be digging into Leo's last prep where he had some amazing results and you know they speak for themselves. You can look them up on YouTube actually. And uh, it's it's always good to I love watching just like prejudging and you know you get a good sense of what people how like what what people looked like. Um and yeah, we're really going to dig into some contest prep details which you guys know i love talking about so yeah i was thinking just starting off with a broad overview i really want to get into some practical details that people will be able to you know absorb and reflect on but yeah maybe just starting off with a broad overview of the like the length of your prep and kind of your where you started off in terms of your off-season weight and macros yeah so i typically sit around 15 to 20 pounds above my stage weight um so previously in the past, my, my stage weight has always been 140 pounds, right? So I'm about five, 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 five and a half on a good day. Um, so I usually sit around 160 pounds, 164, which is actually right where my competitive weight is for powerlifting. So I naturally just sit in the top end of my class. And that's not, okay. uh, it's a little bit out of choice, but it's also a little bit out of, I just find it really hard to put on weight above that. Mm. So certain uh weight range so uh my goal was to come in a little heavier uh this time around i actually did come in my lowest weight was 147 so um i actually managed to actually physically hold on to more lean lean mass this time but either way i uh usually start around six months out so even though it's say 15 20 pounds difference i still give myself a long time to prepare and i you know i kind of ease into it you know just start eating less crappy food, more focusing on just like, okay, what is my overall caloric consumption? I, I do track macros. I do have a flexible approach to dieting. Uh, once I've got that all figured out, I, you know, uh, generally lose about five pounds initially. And then I kind of just kind of chip away over uh, the next kind of, you know, 12 to 16 weeks. And this time, 
we were actually almost ready about eight weeks out. So we were able to start rebuilding into the show, uh, adding about 100 calories a week for the last six to eight weeks into Worlds. And I think peak week, I was typically on around 3,000 calories a day, um, all peak week. And I think my lows were at 2,400 or 2,300 calories for a short period of time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what are your off-season macros like? I try to do my best just to kind of not track as much as I can, but I have a good like good sense of, of what they are. And, you know, 3,500 to 4,000 calories. Um, you know, mostly trying to keep my meal structure very much the same. I just eat uh, slightly easy, more digest, easier to digest choices, right? I'm not loading up on the as much fruits and vegetables and such like that. I'm, you know, uh, trying to eat more calorically dense foods just because I'm physically full most of the time. So, yeah, let's say 35 to 3,800 is probably my sort of uh, average off-season intake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, nice. And then, yeah, I guess the other thing is, how did your macros adjust over the that span of six months, if you remember? Yeah, so I I came down, you know, I started at like three 3,000 calories. I always keep my protein at 200, like so a little over a gram, 1.25 grams per pound of, of body weight, and mm. I just keep it there. Mm-hmm. Um, we did keep fats a little higher this time. I don't think they went below 60, but to start off with, they're around 75, and then fill in the difference with carbs, that they were probably around 350 grams or something like that. Um, typically, I was refeeding uh, at least once a week. You know, Carbs were going up to 500 grams, and fats were even going up to 100 or 125 grams uh, once a week. Um, and we were steadily losing. We made a couple of cuts here and there, uh, you know, every four weeks or so, you know, cut back fats a little bit to, to 60 and carbs, I think, got down to around 250. And like I said, around eight weeks out, I think the lows were, yeah, 200 protein, 250 carbs and 60 fat uh, mm-hmm. with one or two refeed days, which boosted me about four to 600 calories. And then um, each week we just kind of increased carbs by 25 grams. Uh, we were... At that point, I think my low was at 148. So in the last eight weeks, I only lost a physical scale weight of a pound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but each week, you can see a physical change in you know the 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 physique. It's starting to fill out a little bit more as the glycogen was kind of gets situated. Um, but I was continuing to still drop a little bit of body fat as I was still in a slight deficit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I actually wanted to ask a bit about yeah, kind of your reversing protocol and. So, like, I guess, at what point did you decide I'm going to start reversing? Like, was that just kind of, uh, you know, I feel my glutes are in, we're good? Like, compared to, yeah, like, previous conditioning? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, having a good history and good experience, you know when you're sort of ready and that. Um, So, yeah, making sure that the the details were coming in in certain areas. Um, But I was also chronically flat as well, right? Mm -hmm. Know that feeling of just okay, I just yeah, really get mm-hmm. that good pump anymore. And refeed days weren't quite cutting it. And I feel like I managed to do a good job with my training with regards to keeping performance fairly steady the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. we can talk about training as well, but so I was monitoring that, and it was just like energy was maybe just starting to dip a little more than what should have been in a way. So okay. we were. Uh, then we would just have a little bit of a carb bump and just assess and monitor. And you could, again, 
see the the weekly changes of yeah mental physical and just everything around it right mm-hmm. yeah it's one of those things where it's great if for any athletes out there thinking of planning their preps to try and budget that bit of extra time where where you're not just like frantically hacking away you know in the last couple of weeks of prep which unfortunately happens i think to most uh, early competitors um and yeah i think it's kind of an interesting point what you were mentioning where i like i do believe that people can over diet you know like and they you can end up kind of being being a little stringy on stage and i think that something like reverse dieting into your into your show can be a really nice thing yeah well i think you know kind of the last 10 years the the shredded glute thing has been what would win new pro cards and win shows and stuff like that but you would definitely sacrifice a little bit more of that fullness right that shape and that 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 muscularity and the symmetry and stuff like that and i think now more recent times where uh you know protocols are getting better and, and such like that is now trying to get that conditioning but keep that that shape or have that shape at least back for for showtime mm-hmm. yeah did you use any diet breaks i know you said you do one week refeeds one day a week um, we didn't do any breaks actually so um i just got to give a shout out to i do coach with uh, dr joe komsuski so uh the diet doc and uh, i'm sure a lot of your audience are very familiar uh with him but um we didn't do any like real diet breaks um we did just one maybe two day refeeds and um but energy was like i felt good the whole prep energy didn't really take too much of a say a hit hit um, mm-hmm. We didn't do any cardio. I just focused on on steps as well. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, if you're really s- struggling and if you're really trying to grind it out, then maybe a bit of a diet break or maybe some extended refeed periods can, can help kind of maybe uh, reset a little bit of that sort of energy. Um, but for me, we didn't need it. And so the goal was to effectively start get ready early so we could start reversing into the show and, and start filling back out. Yeah. And I may have missed this, but what were your like macros at the very end? The 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 peak week, we were back to at least 300, 350 carbs a day. Mm. Uh, I think we did a little bit of a linear load. So we started the week at 300 grams of carbs, fat stayed at 75 grams, and then protein was at 200, may have gone up to 225. And then, you know, it was 350 by midweek. And then I think peak uh like the, th- the friday before the show it was maybe 400 or 450 so just a slight increase of a few hundred calories just to make sure everything was in place and you know we competed early on the saturday so again we wanted to make sure that we were had the food in place so that we woke up and we were ready to go with just some hydration yeah and do you find that certain types of peak weeks work better when someone is reversing into the show like any differences way more predictable for sure if mm-hmm. you are uh, uh, the more food that you have going in, yeah. the less you actually have to do for peak week, right? Like, I, I mean, effectively, you know, you I, you could have stepped on stage on the Wednesday, the Sunday. Like, it, at that point, you're you're already ready and you're eating almost like show day levels of food just right the way throughout. You can you can step on stage at any time, right? So just making sure that then hydration and, and your electrolytes and everything else is in place and um, that you leave you know, less, uh, it, it's, yeah, like I said, it's just more predictable. Yeah. Yeah, man. I wish I could diet on macros like yours, man. <laughs> and then, yeah, you said 
you didn't do much, you know, formalized cardio. How many, well, what was your step count like? Like 10 to 12,000. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I usually, you know, I got a dog, so usually one to two short, you know, 30 minute walks a day. And and that I'm, I also do uh, some personal training and, and such like that. So I'm pretty active in general. So I was just, uh, yeah, just like almost adding on to what I was already doing just a little bit. And then we were just, consistency was number one. So again, just making sure that it wasn't, deviating crazy up and crazy crazy down and yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's yeah that's i think step counts are a very like flexible way and i think often people kind of peg cardio into this box where you know you've got to be on the stairmaster you've got to be on a treadmill you know block off 30 minutes or, or like an hour or whatever but there's a lot of ways to get in you know movement and ultimately like if you can find a way to work it into your life or somehow make it social, you know, like maybe going for a walk with people or something like that, that would, that's ideal. Yeah. I think it's like when you do too much cardio on top of the training and everything else, it's just an extra stressor, right? It's an extra thing that your body has to recover from. So the, the least, the, the, the mode that you can, can be the, the, the least stressful, I think is going to be easier to recover from. Uh, means you know uh, you know training is going to be a bit better so you're not going to have decrements there as well right and, and again this is a physique sport and the goal is as much muscle as we can hold on to and whilst being as lean or as conditioned as possible too right so yeah and yeah I think I, this is I think a really interesting point in contest prep where I kind of see contest prep as you know you're you're kind of knocking over this this stack of dominoes and like at some point you kind of tip over this point where everything starts to fall off the rails and you basically want to delay that point as long as possible and like the way i see it is you want to be careful about kind of conserving your pre preserving your body's functions and as you said we're like trying to minimize stress so things like really drastic cuts and macros or like large amounts of cardio or, a, you know, maybe increases in your training volume or intensity. Like people will say like, oh, it's contest prep. Now we got to, you know, train high volume and train a failure and stuff all like on every set. And, you know, once the chips, once your, your body starts like cracking and you kind of tip over that point, I find that like it'll all kind of snowball where like for, for myself, it was, it was only in the, like the last few weeks of prep when I really started adding in cardio and that's when fatigue just kind of went up exponentially. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to conserve yourself. I think if you coax the body, it's going to respond better as well. Right. Again, like you said, don't go from, you know, no cardio to six days a week at 30 minutes. Right. And just like what's going on kind of thing. Um, yeah, if you can just coax it and like you said, if you're, you're a newbie, just give yourself enough time, right? You, no one knows how your body's going to really respond, but just give yourself that little extra time, right? Um, and then if you're fortunate to be in the position where, again, you can start reversing in or, or even just taking back the stress, your body's going to look and feel so much better, right? And that's just going to uh, tie into the performance and the overall look at the, for the stage. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, pivoting a little bit and talking about training. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, you're a power lifter and, sounds like your training went really well throughout the prep in broad strokes how is your training set up yeah so i do keep it separate for sure i uh, one of the changes that i made this mm -hmm. last prep was i didn't do the barbell movements that i would typically do so mm. i use them again a lot in my off season uh just for i just feel like they're the you know 
best for overall creating muscle mass and muscle density, assuming your volume is taken care of and, and accessory movements. Um, but one of the first things we did was actually take out, you know, the squats, like a back mm. squat, deadlifts for sure. And we just did accessories off. So we did a lot more, say, hack squats or um, uh, hack squats, safety bar squats initially, um, leg press, Romanian deadlifts, hip press, um, and then bench press. So we kept bench press in a little longer, but definitely focused more on machine and barbell, right? And then, um, sorry, machine and dumbbell. And then we we were just slowly picking picking them back. So we removed the safety bar and then we went into the reverse hack and then we went into a split squat. So we just kind of almost took the um, took the intensity off like uh, where I would typically feel them in the joints, right? So that I could really just focus on the muscles. And again, that just helped with better recovery. Um, and uh, so that you could train them again. So typically we're doing each muscle group two to three times a week. So I think we were doing, say, a modified upper, lower, upper, lower, upper split. Okay. Um, I, I did put my shoulders on my lower body days. Um, okay. And then on the upper body days, it was more of a chest, back, and arm focus. So it was a lot more frequency. Um, and, yeah, just managed sets and reps and just uh, made sure that I was recovering, wasn't overly sore, and uh, felt good for the next workout. Yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating point. And it's something I have a little pet theory on this or, like, that I think is a really intelligent about kind of periodization, like periodizing your exercise selection and taking advantage of, you know, different, uh, the sort of fatigue profiles of different movements where in your off season, you really go for those big, you know, big banger compound movements that get you a lot of bang for your buck and get you a lot of stimulus, but also produce a lot of fatigue. But since you have all those calories on board, it doesn't really matter. But once things get more restricted, fatigue becomes a big issue. And I think it's a, there's a lot to be said about like planning your training far in advance and saying, okay, I'm going to start off the year with my, you know, major movements, maybe focusing a bit more on strength. And then once we get into prep, I'm going to start systematically subbing in these less fatiguing exercises. So yeah, like for myself, I would, you know, start off with the squat and then I, and then in prep, then I switched it for a hack squat or swapped my deadlift for an RDL. And then after the RDL, eventually swap, swapped it for just like uh, the 45 degree hyperextension with a barbell um, and just reducing that axial fatigue because that produces a lot of stress on the system. And when you get later into prep, you really want to be conserving, you know, conserving all that as much yeah. as you can. Yeah, less chance of getting injuries as well, right? And that, that, can, that can derail a whole prep. So just be smart about it. Right. Like you said, take take that that year long approach or that even at least six months out and just okay, let's just plan this accordingly. Um, and some movements may feel fine, right? And just keep them in, feel good, recovering good, sure. But if uh, things are starting, okay, oh that 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 hip, that, that low back or knees or whatever, right? Just sign, okay, maybe let's just look at what we're doing. Okay, let's try removing this and make something, uh, replace it with something that's a little again, uh, you know, more more uh, joint friendly. Yeah. And then in terms of long-term planning, do you have any tips for people who might want to do powerlifting and bodybuilding? Yeah. Um, definitely listen to your body for sure. Like we were just talking about, cause even coming out of a prep, um, I did. So national powerlifting nationals was six months after worlds last year. And, mm. um, if that was kind of the minimum time that I could have really been ready to compete at a level that I would have felt comfortable competing on. Um, but as you're recovering the, the, your load is, you know, you're starting to reintroduce the, the, uh, the lifts again. And, um, 
you know, the, the load is increasing fairly fast and, you know, there was definitely some little tweaks and stuff like that was starting to happen. So again, I think it's just listen, listen to your body and, and such like that. I think it's for me personally, though, I just like the objectiveness of competing in powerlifting and just hitting mm. some sort of raw numbers. Okay. It's like, I'm getting stronger over time, you know, physiology, physiologically, I, in my opinion, you're going to need more muscle to support that strength. So it kind of ties hand in hand with, again, putting on strength, putting on muscle over time. Um, but give yourself appropriate time per season to get ready for either of them, right? You're not going to be able to do both every single year, right? You're mm -hmm. going to have to take, you know, a couple of years, probably at each one, right? So mm -hmm. um, uh, at least, you know, a good two years between um, competing on the bodybuilding stage, just again, recover, have a few maybe competitions, and then, okay, now I'm ready to get back into, into prep. And also as well, uh, just doing a squat, a bench, and deadlift isn't going to create the bodybuilding physique that you want either. So you've got to mm -hmm. still think about making improvements there. Uh, okay, am I doing enough sort of hamstring work, calf work, you know, even arm work just to uh, be ready for the next competitive season? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, those are good points where you, you know, you hear about people trying to stack a bodybuilding and powerlifting competition like back to back, and it's just like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Anyways, yeah. it was uh, it was a lot, but I believe in setting setting challenges for myself, stuff that I haven't done before, and so I mean, take that one off now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, and then in terms of you know, worlds itself, do you have any you know tips or things that you learned about being on on the big stage, just you know, first how to stand out and all that? Posing for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this probably going to be the longest time that anyone steps on any stage. So making sure your posing conditioning is is ready. Um, you know, they're big classes. I think we had 13 in our light or 12 in our. Yeah, that's crazy. Class. So, I mean, you know, for kudos for the head judge and the judges, they're going to give the athletes enough time to uh, to show the judges and, and show their you know, their strengths and their weaknesses. So, um, yeah, definitely posing number one, make sure you're, you're practicing enough, um, and look, look, um, look good on, uh, look, you know, look good on stage, obviously, but I think, um, Jeff Albert, so, you know, he, he, he loves talking about the, uh, like, um, posing and, um, he has a whole, whole series and a whole course, uh, dedicated to it. I, I would highly recommend, uh, you know, definitely going through an approach like, like that and, and take pride in, in the art form of, of the competition itself. This year at Worlds, um, only the top five were able to come back on to do their routines, and that was mm. for all classes. And there was some restraints around that, which was a little unfortunate. But I know that this year in general, they're you know they're going back to California. They, they're going to space it over two days this year, so um, all athletes are going to have their full time on stage with regards to the routines and, and such like that. Um, but that would, that would, that would be my, my main difference, um, for sure. And expect changes with any, as with any show, right? Like, you know, stuff's going to happen. Things are going to get delayed. Um, just be prepared for anything. Right. Yeah. 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 I think the posing is a big piece where people don't realize how much of a difference it makes where like you could have the objective, objectively the best physique, but if you don't know how to show it, like we, you, you just won't get it. The shaking, and, shaking yeah. for sure, looking yeah. 
comfortable. I find people sweat more as well when they're not conditioned and not practiced enough. Um, and that's all stuff that it does affect the judge's decision on your overall placing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And although like, yeah, things do go hand in hand. I, I think that, you know, being in really good condition is like the, you know, first point and the most important thing because people like, I think a lot of the shaking comes when people aren't quite conditioned enough and they're like really trying to like bring it out. <laughs> and you realize, you know, when you're in good shape, it, you don't need to flex like insanely hard to, to get everything to come out. Totally. 85%. So I always tell my kind of clients and, and athletes, right, just uh, go to 80, go to 100%, back it off to 85. And that's something you should be able to hold for 30 seconds and look comfortable, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's like really good point as well with and with practicing where people should be practicing really holding poses. Like I'll just like turn on a podcast and just like sit in poses, you know, at home. And there's a there's a lot of value in, you know, just getting comfortable with it and knowing that you can just hit it. And oh, the other thing was, I think, like filming yourself posing or having someone else look at you objectively, because there's a big difference between like watching yourself in a mirror versus like when when you don't have a mirror when you're on stage. Yeah, if you've got any posing partner or if you if you don't have access to that or, or even a, a coach, if you're lucky, right? Um, definitely videoing and even getting someone else to, you know, you can review it in a different way that way, but having someone else that's going to take an objective approach and uh, be able to give you some points to, to work on. Yeah, overall, and with this prep, was there anything new that you did specifically? I think you mentioned yeah, a actually, couple of things, but. Um, so I really backed off on my uh, vegetable intake. So oh. I was. Okay. Uh, what was it? and I mean it sounds okay kind of weird but it's I found my digestion was way more consistent I wasn't yeah you know thing when when you prep typically you get a lot backed up and people <laughs> yeah. are far apart and there's a lot of these things going on but I definitely found that I was able to focus on more starchy carbs so my energy was better uh that I didn't have as much again roughage and stuff like that I wasn't artificially filling myself up right which i actually think yeah. when you eat a ton of vegetables a ton of big salads you you know your body's starting to expect these big meals and then mm. now you're still in a deficit and you can't quite curb your hunger and it's just like this vicious cycle and then you know people are eating 50 grams of fiber a day because again that's all their carbs will allow and then they're uncomfortable and, and a whole bunch of things like that so I actually found that I just had, I think, one cup of vegetables a day with my regular sort of rice, potatoes, and and you know meat and and fats, and and I didn't have the cravings. Energy was better. My performance in the gym was maintained. Whether that was just because I had a little more starchy carbs to to begin with, um, wasn't gassy, wasn't bloaty. Um, so anyway, it, it may not have been correlated, but I I feel like it is. Um, uh, that. Also, the cravings weren't as much, so I, I really didn't drink as much, um, say, diet pop or anything like that. Um, so they, they, were, they were two major changes that I had done uh, in the past, as, as along with, you know, me making sure that I was ready early so that we could start rebuilding in. Because that, that, that's always a little different. Um, you're always basing on, on what's going on and what's happening. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because I've found this myself where as the years have gone by over different preps 
you just end up not requiring as many of these fillers or like you know things that you use to curb cravings like yeah looking back on my last prep i think like my calories were way lower well in the end but i was still eating less vegetables drinking less soda chewing less gum mm -hmm. you know and overall feeling less hungry actually as well which is it doesn't doesn't quite make sense like from the mathematical side of it and i'm yeah curious to hear your thoughts as to like why that is i think a lot of it is just the stress of prep um, where you just get used to it. I think some of it is your body is used to the hunger. Some of it is just overall stress and just being like comfortable with the fact that, hey, I'm going to be hungry to this extent. And that's just it. That's just how it is. I think um, I think experience plays a big factor for sure, right? Like, again, you are you know what to expect. So, again, it's like, okay, I'm going to start a little bit earlier out this time so I'm not maybe dropping food as much. Or if I am, mm. um, at least you, you have a, a sort of, uh, again, some experience to to work off to kind of put things in place to kind of uh, curb, you know, hunger and such like that. Um, I did come in with a different mindset this time. Mm. I didn't tell anyone that I was stepping on the stage other mm. than my, like, training partner, my wife, and some real, like, close friends and family. So I wasn't posting about it, um, which, again, keeps stress down because, again, there's way less pressure. Um and we were we were heading down to Worlds anyway because of uh, our affiliation with the, the Federation. So it wasn't like I wasn't supposed to be there. But uh, then I posted a video, I think, the night before. And everyone was like, mind blown kind of thing. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Like, I was kind of excited about that as well. So mindset played a, a big role for me personally. Um, but I do think people do take on that much more stress by feeling like they have to tell the whole world as well, right? So, um, yeah, stress experience and then... Um, I did find that, again, keeping my, I was way more regimented this time. Mm. We use a flexible approach to dieting, but I was almost way less flexible this time because it was just so seamless, right? Like it was like, this is my breakfast, this is my lunch, my dinner, my snack, and good to go. Like there was variety in there, but I wasn't being like, you know, I'm not going to have my stack of pancakes for breakfast because I have a free feed today. Today, it's like, oh, I just have a little bit more oats, right? Simple. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think there's, yeah, there can be a difference between, you know, how regimented something is versus how stressful it is, where like you can be that like OCD level, like stressing about every, you know, pinch of oats or whatever it is. But you can also have a very flexible, like, well, a very, I suppose, intuitive approach to things where things just end up being very structured just because that's how you structure your your meal plan or the way you eat. And eventually, yeah, like you can just kind of slip into your usual habits for, for prep and actually not be very stressed out, but still hit things very accurately. Yeah, I did find as well the the variance of like when you're that lean and that conditioning, this, the, the slightest change of water and sodium and potassium, right? They all play a factor on how you actually look, right? Mm -hmm. So I did find that, again, just a little bit more of that regimented of, you know, uh, same amount of potatoes every day and rice and oats and, and meat and, and stuff like that. And um, it was just way easier to predict the look that you're going for versus like, oh, I'm going to have two kilos of potatoes today, which has its <laughs> own nutrient profile. And then the next day I'm going to have two kilos of rice, which may be the same macros, but totally different of regards to their actual build, build up as well. And um, 
yeah and that the look is it it is different when you're that lean you can notice subtle changes right and so um yeah just predictability again consistency predictability would just come back to that mm -hmm. were there any like changes i guess in your you know specific macro or maybe food selection things you did at the very end that you found changed your look uh i, I do generally find um beef and like sweet potato like um they they do create an a little bit more of a fuller look i found at least on like um compared to say a chicken and rice meal you just mm. feel i don't know even if uh uh that you feel fuller right so that's one thing that i did find right at the very end um because again you're pretty much limited to the the foods you you are eating um uh towards the end there and again i wasn't consuming many vegetables at all so um yeah the, i remember the last few meals that we did have on that friday night were more of that sort of beef it was ground beef and uh and sweet potato and yeah but it was again it was all foods that i've been eating this whole time so you know how your body's going to respond and uh, and feel and look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good lesson to take away where just kind of, you know, trying things out, but trying things out with enough time, <laughs> you know, where people will just be like, mm, drop a pizza or something. <laughs> How's that going to go after 20 weeks of not having a pizza, right? But, <laughs> you know, something like peak week as well, if you're, you're working with a coach or you're even with yourself, just, um, you know, the nice thing about being ready early again is you can trial out a couple of these different peak week protocols and just see how your body is st starting to look different with, you know, some higher carb days or or more water or less water or whatever your kind of, um, um, you know, approach or plan is. Mm -hmm. Did you have many mock, mock peak weeks? We didn't really because we every week we were just kind of, we were sort of slightly increasing the food. Um, and then we were still having a, a refeed or a double refeed twice a week. So we were kind of seeing how we were looking the following day and, and two days after. And uh, I know even during the day, but it, there was a lot of like, you know, we were checking in three days, three times a day for the past, for the week or two weeks before. And just uh, seeing how we're looking in the morning, lunchtime uh, and in the evening and uh, with at certain food levels. And um, so, but also as well, that comes down to experience too right like we've this is i've done 12 12 bodybuilding shows and and most of them have been with dr joe so we we have a good idea of how we're typically going to respond to certain things mm -hmm. yeah and then oh that reminds me as well what did you do with sodium and water in the last week sodium was just every single meal just a little addition so i just mm -hmm. knew you know we were adding in an eight for a quarter of a teaspoon so it was, it was around three thousand milligrams a day right the way up to I think it we we bumped it up a little bit as my carbs were increasing but it was you know a, a, a minuscule increase in reality right we weren't dropping it or anything like that and water again consistent we were probably five to six liters a day on show day we did have two meals one of them was a beef meal for sure um, I think I had oats as well and, and some banana and some honey just to get, get in some glycogen real early on. And I think we had two liters of water before stage hit at 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. And then backstage, we were just, you know, as we were pumping out, just making sure that things were feeling good. If I was thirsty, drink a little bit more water. But again, then we just rode right into the uh, the stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think 
keeping things conservative is usually a good idea when it comes to these kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, and then can, yeah, I was gonna say you can you can mess up a good peak, um, but if you could almost ride right into the show, you know, again, predictable, but you know what you're gonna look like, right? So I don't think you're gonna get the any much gain from major experimentation, but there's a big downside as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's, it's the kind of risk reward thing. <laughs> so yeah, and then, you know, looking back on things, is there anything you would do differently for the next prep? Uh, no, I was pretty happy with everything. Yeah, I sounds pretty the great. The next record goal was, you know, start with more muscle <laughs> and, you know, and, but, you know, and generally the approach I was very happy with, I was very, way more balanced, right? Again, I think that comes back to uh, giving yourself enough time and, and making sure you're ready early and, and such like that. Like, again, most people outside of my initial circle, they didn't even know I was prepping for a show, right? So, and that includes clients that I was training every single day. So, um, so I wouldn't change a whole lot about the the, the prep or the, the process. Um, again, it's just, now it's just time to grow and put on more muscle, work on some weak spots again and try and make some improvements so that when you get back on stage, the judges notice a difference and, and go for that number one spot. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I like that kind of approach where I call it the invisible prep, right? Where you like the my goal in prep is to like not have people know that I'm in prep. Where I mean I'll tell people just because it's my social media thing, but yeah, like just trying to have it minimally impact your life and, and not impact the people around you, I think is uh really important for sustainability. Yeah. It's a very uh it is a very self-centered uh, time, right? Um, it's kind of selfish in a way when you actually look at it from the outside in, and we don't realize the effects that it's having on a lot of those other people around us. So like you said, the the less uh, stress it's having, the less uh, impact it's having on the people around you, the people that are gonna be there for for a long time, the, the, the better it is for relationships, for friendships, for, um, yeah, just for life in general. Yeah, and you mentioned this a bit earlier about stress management and you know how things have gotten easier over time. Are there any like tips you would give people in terms of help, like things that will help them manage stress during prep? Uh, mindset, I think just like we're just talking about that. As soon as we start to realize uh, the kind of the why we do it and the effects that it have again on the individuals around us the more you can kind of take that step back and say okay if I can approach this in a slightly different way that's going to uh, not only help me but hopefully help people around us or at least not impact that I think the the, the sustainability is going to be there right like you're going to have more fun mm -hmm. doing it people are going to want you to do it more not more but like they're going to be behind you more than just yeah. like, oh here we go He's True. Again, right? like oh boy <laughs> um and you know also reward and and uh you know give back um you know outside of their practice like be open and honest a lot of the times okay i'm you know this is for the next six months so going to be a little more restrictive and stuff like that i'm going to do my best if i'm ever being a you know an asshole or anything like that just just let me know and uh and also then you know give give back to them right whether it's just going out for a meal or a date night or uh taking your friends out for whatever after the competition probably but um yeah i think mindset's mindset's a big 
a big thing for sustainability and longevity. Like I, I want to be competing, you know, up there in my at least mid forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a long time before that. Long enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think the mindset is one of the biggest things that separates, you know, the people who just compete once and they're just like, fuck it. Or maybe they, maybe they like win their pro card and never compete again or something like that, where you have to learn to embrace the process. And a lot of it is, you know, understanding that, hey, this is an opportunity rather than seeing it as a chore or, you know, a, a sacrifice as, you know, I'm choosing to do this and like, this is what I want to do. And it's going to feel, it's going to feel draggy at times, but I'm doing this for, you know, something bigger than just like that medal or like whatever plaque it is you're trying to win. Yeah, this is a, this is a passion for most of us is a hobby. Um, maybe it, maybe it coincides with a lot of what we do, whether it's, you know, coaching or, you know, running a gym or a federation and stuff like that. Like you want to have people, uh, you know, believe in you and you practice what you, you, you kind of preach there as, as well. Right. Um, but yeah, and those that, yeah, I think those that do, yeah, so do it once or just have one season, I think they just have like, maybe it's a bad or a negative experience and, and never compete again. It's because they, they're going in with this all or nothing sort of mentality, right? Like mm. it's, uh, which, which, okay, kudos. But again, it's like, they're typically the ones not, not coming back. And again, this is something that should facilitate what we do, uh, not kind of hinder or take away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing was about what you said about, you know, the people around you and people in your life and making sure you give back. Right. And I think that I found I feel like sometimes in in my last prep, I was like even nicer than I was, you know, because I was really trying to be proactive about say like, hey, it's my refeed. Like, let's get together. Like, let me spend some time with my friends and and all that. And like just really being cognizant about not being a dick. You know, <laughs> it comes back to experience, right? Because this is, you know, it's not your first season, right? You've had two or three before, and uh, you know, you also you're, you're you've surrounded yourself with like-minded individuals, so you you know you get to uh, lend off other people's experiences as well. And it's like, okay, how can again, how can we facilitate this and and you know make it uh, impact in a in a greater way with those that are around you? It's like, hey, we're actually let's let's be proactive, let's, let's go out and, and do this as, you know, cause today I can do it, but again, I want to do it as well. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then just zooming out to you know, really big picture, just kind of curious about your whole development as an athlete over the years. Like wh- how would you say your, fit- your physique has progressed, you know, from show to show since you started? Yeah. So I think my first, I think, four full seasons I think my stage weight was the exact same so but I you know I've always been known for shredded glutes and and uh and hamstrings and and such like that so um so I think it's just I was slowly just bringing up looking more like a bodybuilder over over time not just having these one or two good good body parts Mm. um also as well development wise you know starting working with a you know well-educated coach so we're prepping is better we're hopefully losing less muscle mass in a prep we are bringing in even more conditioning but again maintaining a, a fuller look over the time and then like i was saying this is the first show that i physically actually weighed heavier on stage and that could have been again a better prep less stress and 
um, and such like that. Training wise, uh, you know, I'm also giving myself longer preps now as well. Mm -hmm. a little more, I'm a little less restrictive. So I think it's, again, comes back to experience, right? Choosing now exercises that you uh, that you know you, you feel good on, you recover, and uh, giving, uh, providing a sufficient stimulus. Um, and also as well, my, my splits have changed over the years. Like, again, way more bro split in the past, and mm. now it's fairly frequent, right? You know, everything's two to three times a week, right? And um, yeah, so again, just small changes over time, but, you know, landing on that spot that you feel feel good of get at as an athlete and is again providing the results yeah yeah i think the the experience bit is a big thing and yeah and just about prepping in a more intelligent way i think where a lot of the physique changes actually also come from yeah just preserving more muscle during prep or just being just looking fuller and less stressed out yeah probably plays a big role so yeah, I think that was a really fun, insightful talk. And I think that I wanted to just give you, you know, a moment to just talk about maybe the WNBF in Canada and some shows coming up. Yeah, for sure. So we, uh, yeah, like I said, we, my wife and I, we run WNBF Canada. So uh, we just had four spring shows. Uh, it's been kind of a weird few years with, with COVID ups and downs and stuff like that. We were able to have a couple of shows at the end of last year, but uh, they're really building well into our sort of our final show of the year, which is our, our pro-am in, in Calgary. Um, which I'll be competing in. <laughs> which which Phil will be there. So, yeah, come out and support. Uh, it's looking out like it's going to be our biggest show ever in Canada, which <laughs> is exciting. Uh, we run all our pro classes and there's um, like there's cash prizes to be won for the, for the pros, which is super exciting. Um, but, yeah, really fun show. Um, a lot of a lot of athletes it's our most competitive it's it's a lot of fun so um expect competition if you are looking at competing um as well as for our pro athletes we uh we have our team that goes to the world championships each year this year is going to be in, in california in la uh which is again the it's our highlight so it's it's a lot of fun uh like we said bill's going to be competing so uh come and watch support oh, yeah. you know, come compete right like um spread the word natural bodybuilding it's it's still uh really in its uh early stages like uh with regards to you know comp competing and and uh the, the classes and everything around it so it's a lot of fun this is my way of giving like i love bodybuilding i love the the whole history behind the whole sport on both sides but this is my way of giving back and providing a platform for uh athletes to compete in uh with a federation that we truly value and, and believe in yeah no that's awesome i think wnbf is the best natural bodybuilding federation obviously but um yeah it's it's exciting to you know see it growing in canada and you know the vancouver show is like way way bigger than i ever expected you know it's, yeah. it's awesome to see people coming out and natural bodybuilding is is very much alive and growing so that's great to see so yeah where can people find you leo um yeah me personally i'm leo uh leo.king's fitness um for with regards to anything wmbf related uh wmbf canada uh is the best place to go it's kind of our central hub where we'll promote all our shows and, and athletes and, and what's what's going on there so that's probably the best place to to reach out awesome so yeah i'll link that in the description below and thanks for being on the show thanks for inviting me 
That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. I am available on a very limited basis for one-on-one online coaching. I also offer one-time custom hypertrophy programs tailored to your needs. So if you want to take your gains to the next level, DM me on Instagram and I'll let you know my rates. Make sure you follow the podcast and we'll see you next time.